Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is a special Sunday podcast we put together which is featuring some of our best interviews that we've done that you may have missed. I strongly encourage you to tune in every other Sunday and check it out. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com, and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. First up today, an interview with Senator Rand Paul. You know, he's been going at it with Dr. Fauci over the gain-of-function lies being told. Rand Paul was having none of it. We had him on the show. He had a lot to say. Check this out. All right, I want to welcome back to the show a great friend to the Liberty and Freedom Movement, Senator Rand Paul. Senator, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Great to be with you. So, Senator, you uh, whenever there's an issue that involves bodily sovereignty, individual liberty and freedom, I always see you come up in the debate. You've always been out there in front of these fights. And this vaccine mandate seems to be the tip of the spear of all of this, Senator. I mean, if we give up sovereignty to our own of our own bodies and what is uh, uh, permitted to be injected into it. I mean, isn't all lost at that point? I mean, does it really matter what we pay in taxes if we don't even have custody over our own bodies and we're all wards of the state? Yeah, you wonder what the definition of freedom is if we don't believe that we make our own medical decisions. What could be more personal and private than your medical decisions? And um, really, it's all based on a fallacy as well. You know, you got these people over on CNN saying, oh, no, I don't want to sit next to somebody who doesn't have a vaccine. Well, even the science doesn't hold up for that. I haven't had the vaccine, but I've had COVID. And actually, the large Israeli study of two and a half million people says you're safer sitting next to me than you are sitting next to someone who's been vaccinated. Because, frankly, natural immunity trumps uh, vaccine immunity. I'm not saying you shouldn't get vaccinated. I'm just saying that the natural immunity you get is as good or better. And so they're, they're freaking out and basing policy, ignoring natural immunity, but basically ignoring the science. You know, Senator, what I, what I find bizarre is I, I don't even think they're ignoring the science. I, I, I know what you're saying, but I think what they're they, they know they're not dumb. Like anyone who's read a Charlie Brown encyclopedia, as I say often, under, you don't have to be a medical doctor like yourself to understand the effect of antibodies, memory, B and T cells. It's genuinely not complicated. I mean, if you're going to get into the specific biochemistry, yeah, it can get a little difficult, but it's not complicated to understand how natural human immunity works. These people know this. They're not dumb, the Fauci's of the world. We'll get to him in a second and others. This is just purely with them, I believe, a mechanism to break down that last domain of liberty and freedom, which is that, okay, I may have to pay a lot in taxes and not be able to pick where my kid goes to school and not be able to pick my health care, but at least I've got my own body. I really think this is a cynical attempt by them to just make you bend that knee and show you that you are now a ward of the state full time. 
it's always been more about submission than it has been science. And you're right that the people do understand this. You know, when, when Fauci was asked on CNN about natural immunity, right. he finally said, oh, well, that would be interesting. We should look into that with sort of this <laughs> innocent look as if he'd never thought of natural immunity before. But if he was actually in a personal one-on-one conversation with you, he'll admit that, yes, natural immunity exists. It's probably as good as the vaccine. But he's really telling you what he thinks that you are able to comprehend in your primitive state because he is Lord <laughs> Almighty. He is the smart guy in the room. And he's going to tell you what he thinks you're able to, to cape with. Cape, you know, and so the thing is, what he's doing is he is telling you a, a platonic lie, a noble lie he thinks is for, your, for the betterment of you. Um, yeah, but it, we, it's a terrible place to be. Yeah, because it erodes uh, trust and faith and, you know, any kind of fidelity to public institutions, Senator. I mean, it's not an accident. And that's why you've been, you know, you and... Your family members of yours, your dad, have been open advocates for a limited role of government where, you know, a role should be one of mass consensus, delineated duties in the Constitution, because they just can't get anything right. And as they've shown over and over again, Senator, um, they, they lie. They're, they're greedy like anyone else. They're motivated by political ambition. And one of the people who's called them out is, is you. You've been calling out Dr. Fauci about a very dangerous thing. And that is the United States government taxpayer dollars using to fund gain-of-function research to make viruses more virulent. And the left-wing media tried to humiliate, oh, that Rand Paul, he's a conspiracy theorist. Well... Hashtag Rand Paul was right again. We've now got new information from the NIH indicating that you were right the entire time. Yeah, the NIH has now admitted that they funded research that to the EcoHealth Alliance, that the EcoHealth Alliance took unknown bat viruses, combined them with known bat viruses, and then lo and behold, they found some bat viruses that were much more potent, much more deadly, and much more transmissible. That's the very definition of gain-of-function research, and they lied about it. So now we actually have the smoking gun, the proof coming that even the NIH has decided, you know what, we could go to jail if we're caught in this lie. So it's going to be interesting. Fauci's coming back up to Congress if he's not afraid to. He's going to be back up in front of us in two weeks, uh, maybe three weeks. We'll see what happens. We'll see if he's going to continue with the lie or if he's going to still try to argue that he was, they weren't really funding gain of function. You know, I just, uh, I almost, uh, in, in a cynical way, admire their dedication to the lie i mean senator they're so clearly not telling the truth and yet you know the the kids have this expression you know take the l just take the loss i mean just take the loss and they continue to double down on the lie and what worries me about that is i had dr stephen quay on my fox news show and he had done research into what happened at the wuhan lab and he said they found evidence of an even more deadly virus called nipah N-I-P-A-H, in that lab, which has an upwards of 80% fatality rate. Like, this is not just an academic argument, Senator, that you're having with Dr. Fauci. I mean, there could be legitimate, like, existential threats if there's another accident that's even worse out of these labs, and then we're paying for it. Well, there's a uh, professor from MIT, Kevin Esfelt. He's one of the pioneers in the CRISPR technology where they insert genes to try to fix disease. And he wrote in the Washington Post, not a conservative uh, publication by any means, he wrote in there that this is the kind of research that could actually be existential to a civilization. I mean, these are, he has a great deal of worry, and he's not a Cassandra, he's not a conspiracy theorist, he's a scientist who's worried that in the wrong hands, or even in the right hands, that a terrible pandemic could break out of the lab. And he says we have to be questioning this, 
but I can't get one Democrat on Capitol Hill to investigate this. I've asked two major committees that I'm on, and the Democrats steadfastly refuse to investigate it. We're talking to Senator Rand Paul, a real advocate for liberty up there, one of the few. Senator, your thoughts about the Department of Justice memo. We have the Agino, the attorney general and name only up on Capitol Hill now. Um, he's sitting here trying to defend this outrageous infringement on civil liberties, this memo from the Department of Justice um, incentivized by the uh, dreadful National School Boards Association, uh, implying that somehow the Patriot Act, well, which I never agreed with to begin with, but that the Patriot Act could be used somehow to intimidate parents who protest their, t- their kids uh, uh, being taught critical racism theory in schools. Uh, you know, the, the, they're doing the right thing up there now, calling them out, a lot of the people on our side. But what can we do? I mean, should this memo be rescinded? Do people have to be defunded here? What has to happen? You know, my dad warned about the Patriot Act 20 years ago when it came forward. He said, ultimately, they'll use this against our own people. It'll be used against Americans. And lo and behold, they're now saying if you're a little bit too loud at a school board meeting, they might use something that was intended for terrorism against you. Look at the last election. They used the FISA Act, which is a secret intelligence court for foreigners. They used it on a presidential candidate, President Trump, and without blinking an eye. And so this is very, very dangerous. It's always the danger to civil liberties is they say, oh, we're just going to use it on bad people. We're just going to use it on terrorists. And then lo and behold, all of a sudden, you know, someone unhappy at a school board meeting is being called a terrorist. And before you know, we are really in serious danger of losing our civil liberties. We're talking to Senator Rand Paul. And, and Senator, uh, by the way, your dad was called a conspiracy theorist, too, for saying what is now transparently obvious, that he was correct. Uh, that, that brings me to another topic. Um, the IRS wants to snoop on bank accounts uh, for $600 or more in transactions. Now they're saying $10,000. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know your opinion on it. I can guess it, knowing how you're a principal guy. But what the hell are they looking at our bank accounts at all for? I mean, I don't care what the number is, Senator. They have no business looking at my bank. I don't know these idiots anything. I was just curious as to your take on that. Realize it is, once again, to invade your privacy, but it's to squeeze you like a turnip and try to squeeze more money out of you. And the thing is, when you look at who will be squeezed by this, you know, the Biden administration says, oh, we're just going out for the fat cats who make $400,000 a year. But if you look at the statistics on this, even if you go up to $10,000 going through your checking account, that's 75% of the people that the IRS is going to be auditing will make less than $100,000 a year. So they're not going after the rich. They're going to go after the ordinary working class. They're going to send forward hordes of uh, people to harass our people, IRS agents. They're going to spend billions of dollars on it. And there's a history of this. Every time they've said that we don't comply enough and that if we hire more IRS agents, we'll get more, we get more IRS agents, but we don't get more money. It just typically is not proven to be very effective at raising money. Senator, last question. You've been generous with your time. We're talking to Senator Rand Paul. Um, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. But my, my last topic, uh, you know, there's been a push recently, especially among far leftists and some rhino Republicans who can't get their heads out of their rumps. And they think a digital dollar would be a good idea. Now, um, I know government surveillance concerns you greatly as it concerns me. Uh, Senator, I can't think of a worse idea than a digital dollar where the government would be looking at not only our bank accounts, but would have access to just about every transaction we make. Can you, can you think of a worse idea than that? No, and I think people already worry about things like that. And so that's one of the reasons why people got into the cryptocurrencies. It's digital, but it's blockchain technology, so it's secure from the government. 
I don't think anybody trusts uh, any of the different governments with their fiat currencies. And I think a time is coming. See, I think we're in the process of destroying ours. We've got 6% inflation that's locked in from last year's borrowing. Now we're talking about borrowing twice as much money this year. I think we're going to get twice as much inflation by next year. And then there will be people that will worry, will the dollar still be the reserve currency? But it's not that the dollar is going to be able to digitize. I think what happens is people may choose other things. They'll choose gold, silver, commodities, real estate, all the things that protect you in times of an inflationary spiral. But we're already seeing this, the disruption of the supply chain. These people aren't sick at home with COVID. That was last year. Remember when all the meat packers were sick? We had a lot of people sick. We still have people sick in our country, but it's not disrupting the supply chain. The supply chain is being disrupted by the malinvestment and misallocation of resources from uh, haphazard inflation that doesn't always strike at the same place at the same time. Yeah, I wish they would have listened to your dad uh, 20 and 30 years ago when he warned about this uh, this crap. It was right You're in front right. of our face, Senator. You know, Senator, thanks for your time, and thanks, more importantly, the most important story in the country right now, I think, today, is a story about Fauci, gain of function, and the NIH. You've been ahead of this for a long time. I look forward to uh, seeing you uh, question him when he gets back on Capitol Hill. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, Dan. You got it. Folks, that was Senator Rand Paul. Wish we would have listened a long time ago about the debasing of our currency. <laughs> It's the biggest tax out there is when you've got a piece of equipment or something of value and the value of the dollar underlying, it gets debased and debased and debased and debased and debased. Quietest tax out there. That was Senator Rand Paul. who was on the radio show with some extremely important information about Fauci and the mandates. We got another great interview coming up with one of the few real journalists out there, Brett Baer from Fox News. You don't want to miss it. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. Okay, up next, Brett Baer. We talked with Brett about the state of journalism today and about his new book, To Rescue the Republic, about Ulysses S. Grant. Take a listen. we got a great guest. I want to welcome to the show for the first time, Chief Political Anchor at Fox News, Brett Baer. Brett, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on, Dan. So congrats on the success of the new book. We're going to get to that, To Rescue the Republic. Uh, it's flying up the charts. I, I've watched a lot of your appearances. Uh, looks fantastic. I can't wait to dig in. I've watched a couple of specials on the History Channel on Grant, and he, he was certainly an interesting figure. He led one of those lives, Brett. You know, when, when you go to the pearly gates with your CV, his was about six or seven pages. <laughs> yeah, he, had, he was a character. I mean, definitely, and, yeah. and a unique figure in American history, Dan. Yeah, so, Brett, just before I get to that, it's a question on the news business in general. Um, you know, I, I, when I was a young agent, I was actually on the press plane. Yeah, you probably don't even remember I, I was on a press plane. I was on there with you, and I gave you a pass or something like that. You've been around the news business a long time, because that was a long yeah. time ago. And you've seen, you know, sadly, faith in journalism has really gone down the tubes. Uh, you know, public polling, you see a lot of people just don't trust the news business anymore, and it's been a downward spiral. Now, one of the interesting things, and in, you know, I enjoyed always about working at Fox is you, you'll have real debates. I mean, I think you can attest to the fact that the liberals on Fox are real liberals. You know, they're not yeah. they're not faking it like they believe it. No. And yet you go and you see other networks and everybody's got the same different degree, you know, of 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 kind of 
you know, anti kind of Republican bias. They may claim to be Republicans, but you think the news business can save itself and there's a future there? Well, listen, I I do think it's changed. And I I don't know whether it was uh, the Trump administration or Donald Trump that changed it or not. I was talking to Howie Kurtz about this last weekend, and it, it seemed like some people who were you know, middle of the road, really trying to be fair reporters or at least center left reporters um, were really affected and emotional during um, the the Trump time and lost some of that objectivity and the taking emotion out of it. Um, I think it, it's it needs a, a reboot. And, you know, from my perspective as anchor of special report, when I took over for Brit Hume, January 2009, a Brit told me two things. One is the show is not about you. And two, let the news drive the show. And that's what we've tried to do at the show. And so when I see other news programs on other channels kind of go off the deep end or go over their skis on the emotion that they put to anti something or pro this, uh, I think more power to them because if you build it, they will come. And um, I think we have a good program. Well, I mean, your ratings are you know far superior. I mean, in the end, Brett, we're all, everybody's selling something. I mean, we're, we're selling a program to eyeballs. So, I mean, the ratings kind of speak for themselves. We're talking to Brett Baer, author of the new book, flying up the charts to rescue the Republic about Ulysses S. Grant. So I've always been fascinated by, by Grant and how he's really kind of gotten a rough shake, Brett, by, uh, you know, the, the quote historians, you always hear the what's the first thing that always comes up? You ask anyone in the street about Grant who knows even a little bit about history. The first thing, oh, what do you mean the drunk? The drunk every <laughs> time. Isn't that kind of odd? I mean, he's like I said, his CV was seven, eight, ten pages long, and that's all people seem to remember. It's amazing. And so when I was looking for the next thing, you know, I wrote about Eisenhower and Reagan and FDR, Churchill and Stalin and the, the beginning, middle and end of the Cold War and trying to uncover and talk about things that were uh, not focused on. I wanted to focus on something that I thought history may have missed or overlooked. And I think the Grant presidency is that time. You're right. The first thing you hear is that he's a drunk. Well, he he was slight. He was small. Uh, He had a time when he was in the Northwest Territory, sent out as a soldier, and he's depressed and he's lonely and he does what sometimes soldiers do and he starts drinking. He gets busted by his commander and he says, either you're going to face court-martial or resign your post. He resigns the post in disgrace, Um, goes back to Galena, Illinois, fails at business and farming and is selling firewood uh, to make ends meet. And, you know, three years after that, you know, the Civil War starts and he rides the ranks and he's commanding U.S. UN, you know, Union forces as the top commander, uh, you know, kind of rags to riches in power of the military structure uh, in a short period of time. Then goes on to be America's most favorite figure and is drafted for president after Andrew Johnson's kind of horrible presidency. Uh, but we didn't find any big indication that he was a drunk in the White House. Uh, he didn't drink when he was around his wife, and his wife, Julia, was by his side most of his time. And um, he was she was a real confidant. So uh, that one story, you know, Sherman told him uh, – Somebody did a story about William Tecumseh Sherman and called him crazy, and it stuck with him his entire life. 
Well, that one story about drinking and getting tossed out really stuck with Grant for his entire life. Yeah, it's sad. We're talking to Brett Baer, author of the terrific new book, To Rescue the Republic. Uh, check it out. Go pick it up today wherever you get your books. I was watching some of your appearances about the book, and you told a really fascinating story about how, how humble Ulysses S. Grant was when he checked into, was it the Willard, the hotel? He was headed yeah. up to D.C. that they had uh, no rooms or something. They all had a small, like almost like a closet space type room. So he uh, signs in. And, and, and what happens next? That was a great story. Yeah, he's got uh, he's going to be sworn in as commander of Union armies, getting his fourth star. And he arrives at the Willard, which, as you know, is a pretty fancy hotel right next to the White House with yep. his son, Fred. And and Grant always wears kind of shabby old uniforms. He does not care about his appearance. And he's got, you know, muddy boots. And he walks in and not knowing who he was, the clerk says, no, 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 we have, we do not have any rooms for, for you, except for this tiny space on the top floor. And Grant really doesn't care. He says, that's fine. And he signs the register. And the clerk glances down and reads, U.S. Grant and Son from Galena, Illinois. And he's horrified and calls for a manager. And moments later, Grant and Fred are escorted up to the bridal suite, one of the uh, lavish you know, accommodations at the Willard. Well, you see historians kind of reinterpreting Grant. I noticed, too, in another one of the appearances, you were saying how, you know, the obviously they're very arbitrary, you know, best presidents ever, all of these most accomplished, whatever they may be. They're arbitrary. We get it. They're subjective. But, you know, Grant really, his reputation took a beating for, for decades. And now you see that kind of slowly rehabilitating himself. I mean, what what do you think that I is? Do. You see that with a lot of presidents, you know, even yeah. Jimmy Carter, who Americans, you know, the stagflation era. I'm a Republican. I'm an opinion host. I'm a conservative. Uh, I obviously was not a fan of a lot of Carter policies. But you'll even hear some conservatives, Brad, who will say things like, well, you know, deregulation of some industries happened under Carter. So, you know, right. it, it, it's kind of you, Grant has been moving up a lot. A lot. In fact, the most of any of the presidents in the rankings, and however you take that to your point, you know, it's a bunch of historians that get around the table or (laughs) Zoom and say, uh, this is the best, this is the next. Um, Eisenhower also made a jump in his presidency. Uh, People look at him as World War II and, and the general, but his presidency made a jump. But Grant made the biggest jump, 13 spots. And I think, really, people look back at the time where we were tilting towards a second civil war and he is fighting for equal justice for uh, blacks to win the peace after the civil war. He pushes the 14th and 15th amendments, um, citizenship and the right to vote. He is fighting the KKK with federal troops in the South. And it's a consequential president that actually at the end of it is an election uh, in doubt where he makes a grand bargain to keep the union together. And that is his ultimate goal in that time. And I think that maybe history is looking back at that, realizing how significant it was. We're talking to Brett Baer, author of To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union, and The Crisis of 1876. Uh, Brett, last question. I know you're busy. I'll, I'll let you go. But uh, this, the grand bargain, I it was watching you kind of get into a little bit of a debate. Again, I, I watched a lot of the appearances. I've been fascinated yeah. by Grant. And, you know, there are contrarians who will say, well, you know, he just perpetrated the segregated South, you know, but again, that's kind of looking at it with what we know now, not what people knew and the conditions that were on the ground back then. 
Um, and right. then, you know, so, that's looking through it. That's like the utopia fallacy. Yeah. So, you know, that's Geraldo's argument. And uh, you've been on the back end of a Geraldo argument or two. No, a couple times. No, couple no, times. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, listen, what, what, and it's not just his. He was articulating what, what some are do say about that, that that bargain kind of changes the dynamic and then leads to the Jim Crow South. And all that happens in the, you know, the civil rights years. I, I think what what that kind of misses is that Reconstruction at that point is pretty tapped out. The South is just so frustrated; they're ready to boil up. They're done with federal troops being in the South. Uh, they want autonomy to be able to have Democrats run the state houses, and they're sick of Republican carpetbaggers in those positions. And Grant knows this. He fears what's going to happen after the the deal is done. But he thinks that presidents after him are going to take the baton that he had, which was to go forward with Lincoln's vision. Um, And frankly, those other leaders, we can't even really put faces on some of those years um, because they didn't take the baton to do it. Yeah. Brett, thanks a lot for your time. Good luck with the book to rescue the Republic. Uh, your profile, Ulysses S. Grant. I know it's uh, rocketing up the charts and uh, best of luck with it. Thanks for coming on the show and spending the time with us. Hey, Dan, thanks a lot for having me. You got it. That was Brett Bear, folks. Check out the book to rescue the Republic. Grant is Jim. I know you're a history buff. I watched that. There was a long profile on Grant on the History Channel. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah, you know, we always, every time we think of Grant, we think obviously the Civil War, but even pre-Civil War Grant, his his story pre-Civil War could be a book in and of itself. Okay, up next, we talk with President Trump's first press secretary, Sean Spicer, about what it's like to be the target of a media hate campaign against him, how we dealt with it as a president's spokesman and what it was like behind the scenes. Everybody loves behind the scenes stuff. Also about his new book, Radical Nation. All right, I'd like to welcome to the show for, I believe, the first time, former press secretary to President Trump and author of the new book, Radical Nation, Sean Spicer. Sean, welcome to the show. It's always an honor, Dan Bongino. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we haven't spoken in a while. So listen, before we get to your book, Radical Nation, which everyone should go check out, um, I got a copy of it in advance. It's terrific. So what's it like to be, uh, you know, the press secretary? Give us kind of a behind the scenes peek. I mean, we have to deal with Peppermint Patty right now. She's, I mean, obviously a liar. Nothing she says is true. Nothing of substance, at least. She comes out there every day. You know, she lies endlessly. She gaslights America. But it is a job only a few people have had. You're one of them. I mean, what's it like the first time that door opens out from that little office you guys have back there and you go out into the Brady press room? You you give us that experience through your eyeballs. I will. One, before I forget, though, I do want to say you mentioned the book at the front. On the back of the book are the people who have endorsed it. Right under President Donald J. Trump is Dan Bongino. So thank you for your friendship. Well, you're welcome. Support. Well, it was a great I, book. I, I, I yeah, just, it was a great I, book. I you know, I mean, yeah. You're, you're, you are a good friend to people, and, and it's uh, obviously a great host. But it's, you, you are thank such you. a loyal and great friend, and I, I, just, I would be remiss if I didn't start that way. So thank, thank you. you um, second of all, I, it's... I think the answer comes down, Dan, to who you are. I, I said this seriously the other day, and I got, you know, people went nuts, but when I walked out every day to be President Trump's press secretary, I felt like I was walking the lion's den. Hi- hyenas were jumping up and down, begging for questions, <laughs> right. yelling. I mean, Jen walks into a bunch of kittens, and they all, like, kind of sit <laughs> back, and 
you know, they're relaxed waiting to, to go out and have a, 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 you know, a latte or something after she's done. They write down what she says and she leaves. There's no pushback. There's no accountability. There's no calling out the double standards or the hypocrisy. Um, so who your press secretary for makes a difference. But for me, it was every day cramming for a final exam. It was knowing that their goal was to try to find daylight uh, between me and President Trump to get me to say something contradicted something he had said in the past. Uh, to to illustrate a position that he might have changed um, and, and to make themselves YouTube stars. Um, and that's clearly not what's happening now. There is literally no pushback. There are two chapters in the book about this because I think one of the things that's happening, Dan, if you're not listening to your show, you're not listening to Newsmax, you're not reading this book, the media, if you wake up on any given day and turn on the Today Show, Good Morning America, read the Washington Post, the LA Times, the Miami Herald, what they're not telling you is half of the problem, if not more. They are living in a world that was created by the Lego movie where everything is great every day. It's rainbows and puppies and sunshine, and they do not let you know what this administration is really up to and the failures that they are having. You know, Sean, that's a great point. Folks, we're talking to Sean Spicer, author of a book I, I really enjoyed and, again, was happy to endorse, Radical Nation. Radical Nation. Go pick it up now wherever you get your uh, your books, uh, preferably not, not on Amazon. But you do you. Um, you're right. The sins of omission by the media uh, are as bad as the sins of commission, Sean. And I, I'm glad you just said that because it's a topic we're going to be getting at later in this hour. One of the examples I think of is how Florida, uh, Florida gets a peak in coronavirus cases, Sean, in the summer of every year because it's hot in Florida. You know that you've been down here. People go inside. The disease is respiratory, spreads more easily inside. So it's not a surprise that Florida in the summer when people are inside gets more cases. The media acted this year, of course, as if it was Ron DeSantis who was personally taking a dropper of aerosolized coronavirus, sticking it in Sean Spicer and everyone else's nose and infecting people. And now it's ironic that people up north, again, tragically, I don't wish ill on anyone for political. I'm not a leftist. Now that people up north are going inside more because it's getting colder up north and people in Florida going outdoors. You know, you see the patterns reversed. Florida is now at the bottom of infections. And all of a sudden, Sean, as you just said about your new book, this chapter about the media, it's a sin of omission. You don't hear that story anywhere, do you? Can, can, I, can I tell you one interesting story? Because this is what people need to understand. Um, and it happened too late for the book. But I think this exemplifies exactly what you and I are talking about right now. A few weeks ago was the first ever joint repatriation ceremony in our country's history. So what that means is um, the president of South Korea, President Moon, and his defense secretary flew over to uh, Joint Base Hickam in Hawaii to repatriate the remains of six U.S. service members that had fought and died in Korea, and we repatriated 38 of their soldiers. Okay, first time in history that's ever been a joint ceremony. The president of South Korea flies to Hawaii to, to partake in this for the solemn transfer of remains. Dan, do you know who represented the Biden administration? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, it wasn't no Joe one. Biden. No one. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. One. A single person yeah. didn't show up to greet the president of South Korea. And do you know how much media attention it got? Zero. But that's yeah. it's a diplomatic embarrassment. It's a military embarrassment. It's a patriotic embarrassment. And yet there was no coverage except for in the South Korean media. Our media blacked it out. 
It's so many of these issues that they refuse to cover, that they refuse to bring up. Last night in the CNN town hall, do you know how many issues weren't brought up? Because they cover for them. At one point, Biden can't remember the port in L.A. called Long Beach. Right. Anderson Cooper yeah. said, Mr. President, had, I yeah, had to rescue him. Long Beach. I mean, they, they rescue them. They cover for them. They omit things for them. It is unbelievably horrible what they're doing to the profession formerly known as journalism. I know, and they, and they did it to you. I mean, you would go up there and you would say things that were factually accurate. They would pick out a hanging participle somewhere and say, oh, my gosh, fact checkers. You know, he said he missed the the in there, and that definitely was inaccurate. We're talking to Sean Spicer, author of the great new book, Radical Nation. I want to get back to that, but one of the things in the book you highlight is that, listen, this is a... This is a new form of Democrat we're losing to now, Sean. I mean, one of the evergreen kind of topics throughout the book is how this, the radical nation, obviously, this isn't the, uh, you know, the Democrats of, of yonder. These are a bunch of like socialist lunatics who are seriously committed to policies that will literally, not figuratively, you know, I hate that word literally, will destroy this country. There is no doubt about it. It's only a matter of time. This is a new breed of Democrat, isn't it? As Joe Biden would say, no joke. No joke. No, like, yeah, like, not, it's not hyperbole. No, no joke. Right. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing. There's two things that I think are important to understand because they're doing it in front of our faces. I point this out in the book. Joe Biden said, I'm going to be the most progressive president ever. He literally told us it. And then three Fridays ago, during an interaction with the press, he said this, quote, if you pass my 1.2 and 3.5 pieces of legislation, it will fundamentally catch this, transform the structure and nature of our economy. Hello? Whoever said we wanted to do that? They're telling us what they're doing right now, and, and Biden gets it. I will give him credit for this. As a politician, he understands that his time is limited and that he wants to go down in history as being more progressive than FDR. He wants to do more for the progressive cause than Obama ever did, and that he's got a limited amount of time to get as much done as possible. That's why we need to wake up and understand that they're literally telling us what they're doing in front of our faces and we need to take it more seriously. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think I called your book a howitzer in the fight against this new left. <laughs> I mean, cause it really is. I'm talking to Sean Spicer, author of the new book, radical nation, Sean, I, this is not a throwaway question. I've got a little bit of time with you here, but I just, you know, it may see, but it's not, I, I really, I love behind the scenes stuff. I do. Everybody does. I remember when I put out my first book, you know, we were, no, I think we were number 12 and what was ahead of us was a flight attendant. And the book was basically like, hey, here's what it's like to be a flight attendant. People love that. They just love to be behind the scenes. Now, yeah. you've been behind the scenes in one of the most prestigious jobs on planet Earth, the press secretary for the White House. I, I mean, really, that's it. I mean, on a resume, you're like, wait, what? That's a showstopper. So when you're sitting up there in this Brady press room, you're the first press secretary for President Trump. In your head, you're listening to, the, uh, this is my words, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, although you may agree. You can nod your head, no one will see you. You're listening to these imbeciles like Acosta and others, who, as you said accurately, they're not there to do journalism. They're there to do performative art for YouTube to become celebrities, right? Or in your head, are you like, I can't believe I have to deal with these morons. I mean, you can tell us, like, are you really annoyed and you're holding it in? Like someone give me a Valium to have to deal with these idiots. Are you saying that? Yeah. I mean, you are I mean, because, <laughs> but you're like, but you know that the camera's on you. So you're going, okay, right. I cannot say, God, you're an right. idiot. 
but I really want to say, <laughs> gosh, you're an idiot. But I know that then everybody will say that I've, you know, and, and that was the thing is that half of the goal was understanding their goal was to get your Irish up and get you to react. Yeah. 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 You're right. I know. I know. I know. Well, and Dan, well, and listen, Dan you know, this, yeah. but the other thing is, you know, I, I knew that, that like, you know, President Trump, especially as time went on, would be like, look, go out and say, this. so I was also knowing that, look, look, I got to make sure that I convey his message and his thoughts as accurately as he wants. And so there, you're thinking to your mind, am I doing what he, am I conveying his thoughts and, and concerns or whatever is policy right. in a way that's consistent with what he wants. Then I've got to make sure that I don't wig out on a Jim Acosta and say, like, you know, grow up, give me a break. I, their goal was to create a moment. And so. Yeah. The, you, you, and and like, I respect that it. about you, Sean, that you and Kaylee and Sarah all understood that, that that's who Sean Spicer is. Like, it's not about you. You're the press secretary for the president. It's not about you, you know, and, and I appreciate that you always kept that level head about yourself because you're right i mean i'm i'm half irish i've got a nuclear temper too i got want to make sure i got about 30 seconds to a minute left I'm talking to sean spicer author of the terrific new book radical nation radical nation go pick it up wherever you get your books and bookstores online wherever but uh the vaccine mandate a lot of that happened after you had been knee deep in the book but the book really does dig into this new breed of Democrat that doesn't see you as sovereign over your own body. It, it, it covers the larger ideology of this new breed of Democrat. Your thoughts on these vaccine mandates and the destruction they're causing? I mean, you just answered it for yourself. The idea that we have folks in the military, first responders, healthcare workers, uh, you name it, who are saying I'm not going to report on the job. I mean, look. I, I, I just I don't understand the world that we've lived in and how quick it's changed where it's, you know, comrades, you must upload your vaccine passport to this portal so that we can. I mean, what happened to health care privacy? What happened to freedom? I, I mean, look, I had a conversation with my doctor because of my personal situation about whether I should do it or not. That's what we should sure. be telling people. Go have a conversation that's based in science, that's based in what's best for your health care needs. But the idea of the government coming in and mandating something. I mean, here's the problem I have. Where do we go from here? What's next? What else are they going to mandate for us? It's in our best interest, quote unquote. I, 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 right. We are going down a very slippery slope. And the problem with the country right now is that nobody thinks beyond that and says, if they can tell us to do this, if they can mandate that we have to have that, if they live in a world where you have to have a vaccine passport to sit in an outdoor dining facility in New York City, but you don't need a voter an ID to vote, what world are we going to be living in? Yeah, no, you're right, Sean. It is disturbing. And like I said, your book really is a, a, a giant howitzer against this fight against these totalitarian leftists. Uh, Sean Spicer, author of the new book, Radical Nation. Folks, go pick it up. It's terrific. My name is on the back uh, right below Donald Trump. What an honor. Thank you, Sean. And Sean, I appreciate you coming on. You're welcome back here anytime. Congrats on the book. Thank you, Dan. As I started, thank you for your friendship and support uh, in so many ways. Always. I appreciate it. And I, thank you for having me on. Always, my brother. Sean Spicer, folks. There he was. We always get the best guests for you on the show. Uh, Sean was the first press secretary, man. You want to talk about a guy who took a lot of incoming. That was our interview with Sean Spicer from the radio show a couple weeks ago. You can hear me every weekday across the country. If you want to listen, go to Bongino.com. You can check it out there. Also listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Bongino. You just heard Dan Bongino.